This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to Unburnable. Please help spread the word by sharing online and rating this episode on iTunes. And if you want to find out more about what you can do to support the case, please visit savethearctic.org forward slash unburnable. We hope you enjoy the episode. The endless horizons of the ocean give you a sense of perspective of recognising that we are still this absolutely beautiful little blue planet. And we see the, the starry night skies out in the middle of the ocean. And it just reminds me that there's got to be something, something bigger to this crazy turmoil that we seem to be caught up in in our lives as we run about them on land. Morning, Songo Enabler, Arctic Sunrise. Just to keep you informed that we are about to launch two of our boats and with people, and we will be on the water. One is always nervous, or I am at least, before a uh, direct action. I can feel a little bit of tightness in my body, and I think that's a healthy feeling. One has a lot to consider. We are here to conduct a peaceful protest because we need to extend the voice for the planet that now is not the time to go ahead and abuse Paris Convention when the world needs action on climate change. My name is Captain Mike and I am one of the Greenpeace captains. During the the summer of um, 2017, the Arctic sunrise embarked on a tour up in the uh, Barents and the Arctic Ocean. The reason that the ship was up in the Arctic was to bring everybody's attention to this ludicrous approach that the government of Norway is taking and going ahead with business as usual when it comes to drilling for more oil. And that's why we were there, to bring people's attention and rally support for the court case that is happening very soon, on the 14th of November. The fight against Arctic oil brings together action both inside and outside the courtroom. Twelve weeks before Greenpeace and Nature and Youth will face the Norwegian government in court, when they will argue before the judge and the world that Arctic oil must be left as unburnable carbon. As the lawyers prepare for the case down south in Oslo, 
a tight-knit group of activists set sail from Tromso aboard Greenpeace ship the Arctic Sunrise. Their destination is the Corpfell Field, the most northerly area open for drilling in the Barren Sea, far into the Arctic Ocean and over 400 kilometres from the nearest shoreline. With Statoil's rig, the Song Enabler, already in place in Corpfell, the team travels north to confront it face to face for the second time. For the crew on board, their own personal journeys have brought them to this point. Having stepped outside the boundaries of conventional life, they've decided to put themselves on the front line of the issues they believe in. I never knew what my career was going to be. In actual fact, I've never done a lot of goal setting. I was an accidental seafarer. My reasoning for going to sea was to escape military service in South Africa during the time of apartheid and one of the few options out of that compulsory conscription was to serve in the merchant navy for a period of 13 years and that's the option that I took to get out of killing people. But no sooner had I stepped up the gangway of my first ship I found that I was in an environment that I absolutely loved and I never looked back. I was a mate on a cargo ship loading logs and timber from temperate rainforests and I was quite an environmentally conscious person. I used to take my shore leaves in whatever foreign port I happened to be in and go and find local environmental groups. These were the days before internet. And I happened to be in Vancouver and I went ashore and came across a group called Forest Action Network. And they recognized both my environmental aware side and also my maritime side. And they said, well, you should be with Greenpeace. And I said, what's that? And they said, oh, it's an environmental group with boats, and it started right here. And so two, nearly three years later, just as South Africa became a democracy and conscription fell away. This is, for all South Africans, an unforgettable occasion. It is the realization of uh, hopes and dreams that uh, we have cherished over decades. I joined my very first Greenpeace boat in Vancouver uh, on a forest campaign to stop deforestation of the Great Bear Rainforest. More than two decades has taken me past volcanoes exploding out of the sea off Flores Island of Indonesia, down to the, the deep blue caught ancient water in the icebergs off Antarctica, to the, the, the crumbling glaciers of Svalbard in the Arctic, to witness horrendous oil spills following the war between Lebanon and Israel. We do go to the ends of the world to make a difference and hopefully shake the butterfly tree. Greenpeace began in 1971 when a small group of activists set sail to the Amchitka Island off Alaska and tried to stop a US nuclear weapons test. Having raised enough money for their mission with a concert supported by the likes of James Taylor and Joan Baez, 
the group sailed to confront the testing operation in an old-fashioned fishing boat called Phyllis Cormac, which was later renamed the Greenpeace. The US detonated the bomb anyway, but the action created enough publicity to successfully end nuclear testing on Amchitka that same year, and the island was later declared a bird sanctuary. Someone who's been an environmental campaigner for over 12 years is Sini Sorella from Finland. I work in the campaign team with the logistics. With the most likely weather, we are going to have two boats and in one boat... Whenever we do something like a training, then I'm in charge of making sure that we have a needed amount of boats and people and equipment and so on. And yeah, so that's what I do. Do we want to have other people in that? I did join some organizations before. I, for example, was a part of the anti-nuclear movement in Finland. And then later on, I joined Greenpeace. The more I got involved, the more I fell in love with the thought of being able to do the things that I find most important. You know, I was not the typical girl. I was quite wild and like really physical. I wanted to just run in the forests and, you know, do my own thing. And I think there has always been some sort of a troublemaker in me but not troublemaker in a sense that I would want to make trouble, but I do trouble if someone needs help. I always found it very hard and I still find it very hard to accept and take injustice. So if there's someone who is treated in an unfair way or if there is someone who can't defend themselves, I really feel like I have to do something to help them out. and it caused trouble for me. I had to often spend time at school after the school day ended. I used to be, and I still am, quite shy. During my teenage years, I, I guess I was struggling a bit in finding my place in becoming teenager and eventually an adult and like finding a place in this society and some sort of a meaning. And then when I started studying in a university and I got to know people who were active in different organizations, like a new world opened to me, I suddenly realized that this feeling or this flame that I have had in me of doing something about these things that I think needs to be like fixed. And yeah, kind of the world opened for me. The world of civil disobedience opened in front of my eyes and it, it was great. The common understanding of what civil disobedience is generally is that people stand up against some injustice or, for example, climate change, and they do something actively in order to resist it. We might have an action where we go and try to stop an oil rig from getting to a certain position, or we might stop forest loggings. And while doing that, you might break a law, but then you think that the justification or the reasoning behind what you are doing is so important that breaking a law, you just need to do it. So it is based on necessity. There's many different ways, but for Greenpeace, it's always non-violent. Peacefulness is, is 
our core principle and value in Greenpeace, I mean also the name stands for, for peace, we believe that in order to fight injustice, you have to fight it with justice. So you can't fight violence with violence. It's something that is there always with everything that we do, both when it comes to communication, uh, when it comes to the activities that we do. If we have an action, it it happens in a peaceful way. I just want there to be a purpose for me asking them to be on that boat, other than just being passengers, unless we think it's important that they are visible. Being captain on a Greenpeace boat is unlike, I think, being captain on any other form of ship. That would be down to the crew that we are comprised of. We have crew from different nationalities. You can imagine what it is like at mealtimes, the conversations that draw in information from all around the world and experiences, many of them having sailed with Greenpeace for some time. It is like a little hive where ideas are hatched. Some of them are marine scientists. We've had lawyers amongst the deckhands who are happily chipping rust at sea and then driving inflatables and climbing up installations in direct action. So the diversity is phenomenal and it's wonderful. Aboard the ship for this journey to Corpfiel is Thais Herrero from Brazil. The Arctic Sunrise is in Toronto today and we received many activists that now are joining the ship tour. My name is Dalia Kelu and I am an Austrian activist. I am Alan Telnes. I am an uh, Arctic campaigner for Greenpeace. Um, my name is Lizzie. I'm an activist from Aotearoa, New Zealand. I've never gone so far from home or to such a remote, extreme environment. I feel very hopeful at the moment. It really feels like there's a growing movement against Arctic oil. So what makes this time right now important is that if they find oil, it would be politically very difficult to stop it. We are 35 people on board the Arctic Sunrise. The ship is full. There is no more space for anyone. But it's nice because we have many people to help with the cleaning, with the cooker. We set sail from Tromso in pouring rain with uh, low visibility in, in early August. Early hours of the morning, it was, it was daylight because there wasn't really much of a night, only about one hour being so far north. And we headed out of the fjords towards the Songa Enabler, which was prospecting for oil up on the uh, extended continental shelf of Norway. It's an area where, uh, where no one has been drilling before. It's so far away that, uh, for example, the helicopter rides that they do in order to, to get the crew to the platform, they have to fly half full helicopters because otherwise they don't have enough fuel to fly all the way there. So it is really remote. Good morning, Thais. We're approaching to Sunday, 13th August. We woke up at 3 in the morning, very early. The reason that we woke up so early that was the ship was approaching the oil rig. So many people went to the bridge with the captain and with some crew to see this moment. 
two days from Tromsø to reach the Songo Enabler. And when we reached the position, we could see it on radar, but we couldn't see it. It was completely clouded in fog. And even though we went up right up to the edge, 500 meters, we could not see anything. And it was more of these reasons that we skirted around. And it took, it took a few days before we actually saw the oil rig. A moment when the fog lifted and this beast became unveiled with its little lights and enormous legs sticking into the sea. But it was only for moments because it was quickly snatched away again by the cloud and to disappear. It came back on occasions just for moments like that. When you approach an oil rig, it feels like you are very close to it already because it's so huge. It's a huge installation and you don't really have like a scale for it when you look at it in an open sea. It looks really dirty, somehow scary. It felt so unnatural to be in this amazing, beautiful blue ocean surrounds and then to have this huge piece of infrastructure looming over us, it was, it felt wrong. But one day, the wind came back and the fog lifted. The moment came. So I just wanted to say that I'm very pleased to, to be here. Uh, Before we go into any direct action, we will have a final meeting and briefing. My role as the captain is to bring us all together, to bring all our minds together. When I'm giving that kind of speech, it is not so much what is going through my head that I communicate, it's what's coming from my heart. The end of such a meeting is more of a chilling moment to go on to full standby. And it's, it's a sobering moment more than a, a celebratory one. I'm certainly feeling like a small amount of anxiety around being out on the water and protesting because it is such an extreme environment. But I also have a lot of trust in my team and the people that I'm working with. So that makes it a lot easier. And I just think that when I get out on the water, I just have to put those kinds of emotions aside because this is really worth fighting for and it doesn't matter. Once you're out there, you just have to do it. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. One person who's experienced firsthand the risks of these situations is Sini. I do think that at times it has been hard for my parents to understand why I do what I do and, and why do I take the decisions and make the choices that I make in order to do this work and have this, this way of living. 
I was one of the Arctic 30, so me and 29 other people got arrested on this very same ship in Russia uh, in 2013. In September 2013, a protest against Arctic oil caught the world's attention when activists from Greenpeace attempted to scale a drilling platform owned by Russian energy giant Gazprom. We were fighting Arctic oil. At that time it was the most northern oil drilling that they were first preparing and then starting. So we were protesting there during 2012 and then 2013 and I was there both years. It's a Russian state-owned company who has uh, some yeah, kind of permanent rig in place. Despite having carried out a similar peaceful protest at the same platform in the previous year, the Russian response this time was swift and aggressive. The activists were blasted with water cannons, while the Coast Guard fired warning shots over their heads with AK-74 rifles. The Russian authorities then forcibly took control of the Arctic Sunrise, which was boarded from a helicopter by federal security officers in balaclavas, armed with guns and knives. Their ship was towed back to the Russian port of Murmansk, where the entire crew, dubbed the Arctic 30, were arrested facing charges of piracy and up to 15 years in prison. 28 Greenpeace activists and two journalists detained in Russia's Arctic... We were kept in prison uh, in Russia for two months uh, and then one month kind of on bail, <laughs> uh, so we couldn't leave the country of course, that's the hardest thing that, that I have been through um, during my time in Greenpeace. To have crew uh, incarcerated, you know, I think there were 30 people in prison for two months. And I think the ship was impounded for nearly a year. Uh, that was a, a, a very large action and it drew a lot of attention. After two months of incarceration, however, with Russia facing mounting international pressure over its actions, all of the Arctic 30 were released. It might sound weird, but it was in the end very positive experience for me because all of us could really feel the, the support and solidarity from people around the world. And it was, of course, very direct because it was solidarity towards us and to, towards what we had been doing, towards the fight that we had and still have against Arctic oil. So it, it did give me more and new strength and also trust and belief in that we can actually fight this. Even though it was awful experience personally, I think it, it also was a very, very beautiful and powerful experience. The Arctic 30 incidents has given the peaceful protest at sea a lot more legal rights. Yeah, it is ironic that the, the Russian intervention did strengthen international law to uh, you know, prevent the heavy-handedness and uh, give more uh, opportunity for groups like Greenpeace to take direct action. So it's about 5.45 in the morning. Um, we had our wake-up call at 5 o'clock. And we're all having breakfast, getting our gear ready, and making sure that we're safe and prepared for today's action. Songan Ebla, Songan Ebla, this is Arctic Sunrise. 
At that point, things changed and the whole direct action became one where we were breaking a, a rule the, of the Petroleum Act. Around the Sangha Enabler is a 500 metre safety zone, which by this point the activists had entered. We have under it lost a legal right to protest at sea. We do understand that you have a safety zone and that that safety zone is there for you to conduct an unsafe operation. I had a lot of feelings being in this zone. Of course, it got uncomfortable at times and a little cold. The water was splashing all around us. And and then we had this, we got really close to the rig and had this gigantic structure in front of us in our little kayak. So it was also very, very weird in a way to just be below this rig and look up to it. It just looked so wrong. Another thing that happened while we were in the zone, we were really close to the rig and a whale came up next to the kayaks. And this was really sad because this whale was so close to the rig, it really shouldn't be there. We have four kayaks in the water at the base of your enormous rig. And they have a message in the form of a globe, which they would like to give to you. And we hope you'll be in a position to receive it. You copy? Finally, we launched the globe, a giant sphere painted uh, blue with the continents standing out in yellow. And written onto it were messages from supporters around the world. And that was towed into, into the picture too. So now we had an object also beneath the oil rig. Uh. Arctic Sunrise, uh, Arctic Sunrise, uh, Songa Enabler, uh, I got your message, sir. Uh, I do not confirm that you are in a position where we can receive anything from any canoes or kayaks. So uh, all, uh, all breach of the 500 meter safety zone uh, is not uh, legal, sir. We kept up our presence for uh, eight hours. Arctic Sunrise, Subsequently, Arctic Sunrise, uh, throughout the day, they did send warnings to us to remove our people. Uh, yes, sir. Can you please confirm that you have passed the message over to the ribs and the uh, kayak that they need to, uh, for their own safety... Uh, uh, until they send a final warning. So this will be the fourth and last request that you need to relocate uh, all your uh, crafts outside the installation's uh, safety zone. If not, we will regard this as a security threat. Is that uh, clearly understood, uh, Arctic Sunrise? Uh, Songa, Nabla, and shortly after that, we were called up by the Coast Guard. 
and they gave us a warning of their own. Arctic sunrise, Arctic sunrise, this is the Norwegian Coast Guard Nordkap. You read me on channel 69, over. Which we contested. I contested. Um, did not feel that they had the right to interfere with our protest because it was a legitimate use of the sea and had nothing to do with them. We were maintaining a safe um, operation, uh, and so that was our, our standoff. Okay, stand your captain aboard uh, Arctic Sunrise. I have a message uh, to you from uh, the Norwegian police. Um, so please uh, stand by on this uh, channel. In order to remove from the security zone around Songa Enabler, the chief of police, police in Tromsø, the police district, hereby imposed... The Norwegian Coast Guard, however, did not pay any heed to my questioning of their right to remove us. We are uh, coming over with uh, five officers, as I said. So uh, prepare a pilot ladder on your port side. And they came in and they boarded our ship and they took control and arrested the kayaks and took the people off the water. ...to come on board the ship. Uh, we have a no weapons policy. Uh, we are a peacekeeping organization. Any boarding, please, we will not accept weapons on board the Arctic Sunrise. They shot a tow rope over the Arctic Sunrise and attached a line and dragged us out of there, dragged us all the way to, for two days, you know, all the way down to Tromsø. At the moment we are being towed from the old drilling area called Korpfjell to Tromsø uh, by Norwegian Coast Guard. And I believe we are somewhere halfway, maybe a bit further than halfway towards Tromsø. The ship is moving really fast. It's moving much faster than when we are moving with our own engines and and our engines are off, so it's really quiet. So it's like a really quiet, speedy drive. But yeah, we have four uh, Coast Guard officers on board and the ship is under arrest. We arrived in Tromsø and the police were there on, on arrival and they took five activists and myself for a questioning and interrogation. And that was some hours of questioning with an interpreter. I gave them my name and address and helped them as much as I could. You know, we, we are working with them. We want, don't want to make life too difficult, but at the same time, it didn't seem to play the other way around because we also found that they were confiscating our our boat and by the time we got back to the ship there was a crane with uh, my boat um, hanging off the top of it they were taking it right there and then and they put it onto a trailer and carted it away which is a really expensive piece of equipment which we have now lost and need to somehow make up for on hand to advise the team on the legal considerations of their arrest was Michelle Juncker Argueta, legal counsel for Greenpeace. You know, from, 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 our, from our side, we felt quite confident that we were engaging in peaceful protest. And we are, you know, we still maintain that. What, where this took place actually is what we call the extended continental shelf. And this is, this is beyond 200 nautical miles from the, what we call the baseline of Norway. 
So beyond 200 nautical miles, the legal regime over there is established by the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea. It basically gives Norway the right to uh, exploit its non-living resources, but it also says in doing so, the coastal state must not infringe or unjustifiably interfere with the rights of other states. And these rights include the right to protest. So we were confident in our position to be protesting there. And we were also confident in the unlawfulness of the boarding and towing of the Arctic Sunrise. To avoid further legal battles, Greenpeace paid the fines for the release of the activists. However, the court date for the confiscated boat is still outstanding. When you rightfully draw that line of direct action, obviously peacefully, it's it's not going to stop it in that moment for good, and we don't expect that. However, it is a punctuation mark, and it does have impact. And the more we stop things with direct action, the more punctuation marks start to happen, especially as people recognize the empowerment that comes from taking nonviolent direct action. I have done things like this before with Greenpeace. I have been on several different actions and every time again it is really great to meet these people that go on to the actions with you. They are all very inspiring individuals but also seeing the feedback from people and the best part is when at the end we manage to change somebody's mind like a company saying they will stop drilling. This is really the greatest part. The success of actions was seen in the summer of 2015, when a wave of worldwide protest rose up in response to Shell's plans to drill in the Alaskan Arctic. Hundreds of people in kayaks surrounded Shell's drilling rig in Seattle, Oregon, while climbers hung from the tallest bridge in Portland to keep Shell's icebreaker vessel in port. From San Francisco to London to Helsinki, people marched to voice their opposition. Over seven million signatures were gathered from people across the world. And in the face of mounting public pressure, Shell eventually abandoned its ambitions to drill in the Alaskan Arctic, having already spent over $7 billion attempting to extract the oil. US President Barack Obama and Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau then jointly announced a ban on offshore oil and gas drilling in the Arctic. With Canadian and US waters now off limits, in November of this year, the global focus turns to the new Arctic oil licenses awarded by the Norwegian government. In order to do activism on a daily level, I think you have to not give up. My family or close friends would say that I am very stubborn, but of course myself, I don't think I am. But I think it's some sort of a determination that you need to have. But I think it also takes a personality where despite all the heavy issues and complicated solutions which come somewhere in the far future, you need to be positive, you need to have trust in it that we are going to make this happen. It's going to take time, it's going to be heavy, it's going to take a lot of work, but it's going to happen. And have belief and hope in the future. In the next episode of Unburnable, we meet the lawyers behind this unprecedented case, the team who will be bringing the fight to the government of Norway over the seven-day court battle. This is probably the most important case 
I've ever been involved in. It concerns which impact can courts make on the shifting times that we are all in. It handles uh, one of the most important issues in our society. You know, we've been fighting this battle in different different places and now it's in the courtroom. It's our next battlegrounds. As the attempt to ensure Arctic oil is left unburnt beneath the sea, we'll unpack the key arguments they'll use in court and explore how this historic case will play out within the four walls of the Oslo District Court. If you've enjoyed listening to Unburnable and feel that this is a story that should be heard, please share online and rate this episode on iTunes. And if you want to find out more about what you can do to support the court case, please visit savethearctic.org forward slash unburnable. This episode of Unburnable was brought to you by the team at Radio Wolfgang. It featured Mike Finken, Cine Sorella, Thais Herrero, Erlen Telnus, Lizzie Sullivan, Dahlia Kalu, Richard Harvey, Katrina Hambro, Emmanuel Feinberg, Michelle Yonker Argueta, and was narrated by me, Cormac McAuliffe. The producers were Ivor Manley, Natalia Rodriguez, and Cormac McAuliffe. Additional sound recording by Thais Herrero. Sound design by Ivor Manley, with original music by Paul Fitzpatrick. The executive producers were Harry Watson and Colm Roach. Thank you, and until the next episode.